What's good, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of One-on-One with your host. I'm Tommy. Jen is still at her internship, but I did get a chance to talk to her today, so she's having a good time. She's enjoying it, preparing for another round of orientation, and so just know that she is still in our thoughts. Um, Not dead or anything. That's a weird way to say it, but she is still alive and well. Um, We don't have any students, but we do have some participants that are here for a conference, and so you might hear a little bit of running around in the background. Just know that Everything is normal. It's just the soccer camp having a good time. So um, we'll jump right in and go ahead and introduce our guest with us today. So Andrew, if you'll say hi to the listeners for us. Hello, listeners. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, and so one of the things that we want to do is give the listener a chance to learn a little bit about you. So if you can tell us where you're from, what you do, um, how you know myself and Jen, and then something the listener should know about you. All right. Well, uh, I am originally from Little Rock, Arkansas, though you may be fooled by my accent or perhaps (laughs) lack thereof. Although when I return home and and communicate with my 89-year-old grandma, it uh, reemerges relatively (laughs) quickly. Uh, I was born and raised there. Uh, I originally came to Flagstaff in 2013 to undertake a master's program uh, in teaching English as a second language and applied linguistics. And upon doing that, my first post-MA position uh, was teaching overseas in Uzbekistan, uh, which I relished. And upon returning, I originally tried to find work close to where I grew up. And uh, somewhat capriciously, I applied to an academic advising position at Northern Arizona University. I did miss Flagstaff. I had a fantastic experience here, for which I'm fortunate. And uh, against all odds, at least in my opinion, I didn't see the applicant stack. I was hired, and that also is sort of my segue into student affairs, since my my classic background is is teaching and pedagogy. Um, aside from that, the the biggest thing about myself is that I am a poet. I am an avid reader, and I I enjoy writing poetry. I've been doing it. For half of my life and a fun side hobby. My friend and I, for the past six years, we co-founded and co-edit an online literary magazine. So if any of you are inclined to submit, then have Tommy hook you up with my information. And uh, yeah, I guess the cool thing that I, I saw this week were the appearance of some goldfinches. I come from a family of amateur ornithologists and uh-huh. bird enthusiasts. And, you know, I can't help but notice since spring in Flagstaff is here, although <laughs> despite the <laughs> weather, that's so. <laughs> right. Um, and I've seen more songbirds emerge despite sort of the intermittent wintery weather. And I've, I've been glad for that. It's an inspiring sight to see, you know, the streaks of, of gold and yellow amid the, uh, snow flurries and, and the yes. gray. So that's it. I like it. So I think for me, the best thing I've saw this week was, uh, my family came to visit. So my aunt, uncle, and my cousin came up from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Mm. And so I had a chance to take them to the Grand Canyon and show them around. And it was quite the scene. I haven't been there in several years. And sure. so I had kind of forgotten how, I guess just majestic it is in a lot of ways to see everything. So totally. Yeah. It's, you know, whenever you, you encounter famous landmarks like that, you know, magazines or books or online, you see pictures of them. 
you know, I find a lot of the times when you actually visit it in person, it seems smaller, but that is not the case with the Grand not Canyon. The name is, is very apt. Yes. It's majestic for sure. Um, so for the listeners, something that we always start out with is just a special shout out. And so again, just taking the time to thank some individuals who have helped this podcast to succeed and who we continue to partner with. So first is our housing and residence life at Northern Arizona University who allow us to record each time. Secondly, our supervisor, Sarah Olson, who helps create the content as well as support our work. And third and most importantly, you, the listener, for tuning in, giving us suggestions on what we should talk about, as well as just having any feedback for us to also improve the show. So we deeply appreciate that. If you do want to be featured, you can always reach out and contact us at jenniferemmel at nau.edu. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R dot I-M-E-L at nau.edu. Or Tommy.Newsom at NAU.edu. That's T-O-M-M-Y dot N-E-W-S-O-M at NAU.edu. You can always subscribe and find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Google Play. Um, but we're going to go ahead and jump into more of our segments. So um, one of the segments that we have is I'm Not Feeling That, which is kind of a segment that's like a pet peeve or something that kind of grinds your gears. And so for you, Andrew, is there anything that comes to mind at all that you can think of as a pet peeve? Uh, there are multiple things. Tom. I'm not the type of person who, who, uh, complains often. Um, but there, there are, I, I guess two prominent things. Number one, I hope would be an objective pet peeve and that is littering. Uh, that is the bane of my existence. Uh, as a, as a millennial, I am pretty environmentally conscious, but aside from, you know, everything else, it's simply inconsiderate. I am the yep. weirdo who is picking up trash on the street unpaid, and I'm also the person who is taking recyclables out of the trash can, cleaning them, and putting them in the recycling bin. So anything pertaining to trash or just uh, compromising the beauty of, of Mother Earth is, is something that certainly grinds my gears. And I would say besides that, and I've noticed this extremely often here in Flagstaff, and I don't know if it's Arizona drivers <laughs> or if it's tourists, but, you know, people seem to have forgotten the concept of a turn signal. Yes. And that is something that I, I think is more common here than, than back home. So, you know, it's, you know, it's especially when it's a, a rapid fire turn and you barely have time to break and just, you know, I could go on and on, but... <laughs> We'll keep it there for now. That's fair. I think along the lines of driving is even today, um, I was walking with my supervisor and we were going to get coffee and she made a good point. I think that especially local drivers here in Flagstaff are pretty good at seeing when you're in the crosswalk that to go ahead and slow down and they definitely make it clear that you can pass and walk by. But I think maybe for more of our tourists or from individuals not from Flagstaff, that is not as evident because there are several cars that both last night and today that have kind of cut me off. And for me, that's my pet peeve. This I, week. I concur wholeheartedly. Walking is one of my favorite things to do. I uh, walk to work. I walk all over town and we've heard of defensive driving. I've, I've self-coined defensive <laughs> walking. And yes, I have almost been made mincemeat. A couple mm-hmm. times since since living here, and part of it is just, I mean, they quite brazenly ignored stop signs and red lights, but yeah. one thing about living in Flagstaff is you have to wait about a full 
three seconds after the light turns red before you yes. make any moves. <laughs> yep, I've definitely learned so. that. Our next segment is I got a story for you. So this segment is designed to tell a story that lets the listener know a little bit more about ourselves. So it can be anything from embarrassing to inspirational. Um, and so this topic is kind of going to be a little bit more along the lines of a first college job or a volunteer position at a university. And so I'll kind of start to go first and then Andrew, if you want to go second. And so um, my first college position that I had was working the front desk in my residence hall. And so um, there they have 24 seven desks. So we're open all the time, 365. And I had a very rigorous schedule as far as when my academic classes were. So I had the privilege of working 3am to 6am. And I think it's, <laughs> it's interesting now because I look back and especially during the summer, we have a lot of our summer housing assistants that work from 7am to 11pm, not all at once. They're broken up into different shifts, but I think it's interesting because sometimes I can see that they're coming to work a little sleepy or they're very excited to get off work because it's 11 o'clock at night. And I had a chance to kind of reflect on it a little bit and thinking back to when I worked at the desk. And I think in some ways it's just humbling because now I have a chance to kind of see the other side of like why we have those hours and what kind of the design is and the intention behind it. But I really appreciate it because I think that's one of the first jobs that I really learned a lot about customer service. And I think what I appreciate most is I hadn't really thought about it is that being at the front desk, it's really the first chance to make an impression on anyone who walks into the hall, particularly just being able to greet and acknowledge them. And that's something that when it doesn't happen, if I notice it, then it's something that really stands out to me. But it doesn't stand out to me as much as someone says, hey, welcome back to Gabaldon or something like that. And so I think for me, that's what I really reflected on from my first college job and how much the customer service part is still really true and prominent in my role today, especially when I'm interacting with customers or right now, not customers, when I'm interacting with parents or right now, um, camps and different conferences that are coming into Gabaldon. And it's really a chance to recenter or kind of refocus into that customer service. And so that's something that I really appreciate from working at my first job. Don't necessarily miss the lack of sleep. That was not always something I looked forward to, especially if I had a test the next day. But that was a good experience and I learned a lot from it. Right on. Uh, it, and it's a wonderful transferable skill. I can tell you that according to the National Association of Colleges and Employers, uh, for their job outlook survey, interpersonal skills are consistently among the top 10. So customer service in one capacity is, you know, very similar to customer services in hundreds of other capacities as student affairs professionals you know even though we're not wearing a name tag and selling electronics at best buy we're still uh inclined to provide the best customer service that we can so it's good that that still resonates with you yes absolutely so what about for you my very first now so college job i'll in interpret as position at a university uh when i was an undergraduate back in the dark ages of 2005 <laughs> to 2009 uh, I had the uh, fortune of being a tutor at my campus writing center. Uh, I took a practicum class for credit over the course of the spring semester. So uh, my sophomore, junior, and senior year in its entirety, uh, I would help students of all academic disciplines, including, you know, graduate students, uh, PhD students with every aspect of their papers. And you know, aside from just providing good customer service. Um, 
I would say that that experience was was instrumental in fostering my love of of teaching and, and helping others succeed. When it comes to Clifton Strengths, developer is mm-hmm. one of my top. So I, I get a gratification when people that I help uh, learn something or achieve, you know, some kind of tangible goals. And it was sort of a thumbs in different pies kind of position. You had the admin aspect of running the front desk and booking appointments and uh, scheduling workshops for teachers and things like that. Uh, working one-on-one with the students could be intimidating sometimes because, you know, I was 19, your, your ethos may be in question <laughs> if you're 19 and you're helping like a 37 year old nursing student. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what, what that really taught me, uh, is that, you know, writing is more than just, uh, grammar and editing. Uh, that's in fact, secondary stuff. The, the beautiful part about it is having some sort of idea. Uh, that just starts when two synapses send something together in your brain and then you can nurture that into a well-organized, cohesive series of thoughts and so on and so forth. Um, and it's, it's about expression. And there are so many people who just hated writing, uh, specifically a lot of, you know, STEM inclined people, the math sure. and sciences and understandable, you know, they, they just, they saw it as a necessary evil. So, uh, my personal challenge was, was trying to get some of them to reconceptualize that. Say, even though it's, it's difficult, if you do it correctly, you gotta admit it's, it's satisfying that you've successfully and articulately said what you, what you wanted to say. Uh, and I, you know, if I, in the future, any opportunity that I have to work with a writing center, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't rule it out. It was a, a meaningful experience. Awesome. I'm curious. I know you talked about also being involved with poetry. And mm-hmm. so when did you start to develop that passion? That's a great question. Uh, actually in high school. So, uh, I would be a band geek, but I am musically inept in all <laughs> forms. So that, then I was, uh, that was, I was relegated to, uh, uh, drama, drama geek. I did, uh, speech and acting and I uh, absolutely enjoyed every minute of it and one of the events that my uh, instructor wanted me to do was poetry interpretation and when I was 16 she gave me uh, a copy of T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Pruvac. Uh It's not really my style, the modernist thing, but I enjoyed reading the poem. Try It's the first time I took a piece of literature in that genre and tried to understand and, you know, speak it in a way that sort of made it come to life. And uh, you can't see it, but I have a small tattoo on my chest, my very first tattoo at age 19, uh, a small scene from that poem. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk along the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. So once I decided that I liked the concept of poetry, then what do you do? You, you immerse yourself in different subgenres and authors and styles. But, you know, to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader first. But it's sort of like theory and practice. You, mm-hmm. you have to stop the theory at some point and pick up the, the pen. And, um, ever, it's just my, it's my creative outlet. And, you know, people, some people unfortunately live their entire lives without finding, you know, significant creative outlet or a passion. And I'm, I'm glad consciously that I found mine when I was in high school. So, and it's, it's also a thing that I don't feel financial pressure towards. If I, you know, if someone wants to pay for my books then great, but (laughs) if not, you know, I'll always enjoy writing for the sake of writing. It's good to have 
something that you value intrinsically like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, for the listener, we're going to go ahead and take our first quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right, and we are back. So we're jumping right into our segment, What Does This Mean? And again, that's the segment designed specifically for a NASPA knowledge community of new professionals and graduate students that's going to be conducted a little bit more as an interview style. So the segment's going to give us a chance not only to learn about how we incorporate different student development theories or counseling theories, but also helping the listener understand how different situations, experiences, and professions within student affairs play out from a college experience. So this week, we're specifically talking about career development. And so so, um, Andrew, you kind of talked a little bit about this already, but what was your pathway into student affairs, more specifically, um, how you chose career development? Sure. So, uh, my first my first student affairs position was uh, being an academic advisor, and I worked uh, primarily with first year students and uh, some sophomores who were still exploratory. Uh, and after about a year and a half of that, there was an opportunity to transition into career development uh, as a program coordinator, which is my current role. And, you know, part of it, the, the selfish motive was to have to fortify my knowledge about, you know, the 21st century workforce, because, you know, it's very evident that the, the career trajectory is changing the way people view it, the opportunities that are existing and being created. For example, one statistic states that, you know, 65% of students in, in elementary and secondary school currently are going to be working jobs that currently do not exist. I mean, when you think about it, you know, the title like social media influencer didn't exist in 2003, <laughs> but now, you know, there are a dime a dozen. So I would say another appealing aspect of, of career development is that regardless of you know, a student's major, because we try not to emphasize extreme importance on a major. Everybody presumably wants a job or an internship or uh, some kind of experience that will enhance their, their career path at some point. So the relevance being, being important to everyone is definitely a factor. I've worked with students and alumni from, uh, you know, first year students who've been on campus for three weeks to someone who just obtained their master's degree and are, are looking for their first, you know, postgraduate opportunity. So it's a, a wide net that is cast. And I, I want to learn as much as I can with any new position that I undertake. So I've, I've gained a lot of valuable knowledge and insight uh, in career developments and about our umbrella organization, NACE, the National Association mm-hmm. of Colleges and Employers. Yes. I think something that's really cool here, I don't know that I've seen it at other institutions as far as the incorporation, but I think especially with NACE is how each student employee in the spring also is evaluated in some aspect within NACE, which I think is a really cool aspect to not only make sure that how are you doing when in your physical position, but as far as the national standards where you're obtaining skills, where there's areas for growth. And I like that really outlines the details of every single one from technology to your intercultural competence, understanding and different areas within that as well. Well, for someone who is, who has never worked in career development, you've, you've pretty much got our office philosophy down. So if you're ever wanting to <laughs> transition, 
Uh, absolutely. And it's, it's the, you know, our student employment team has worked very diligently to, uh, incorporate the NACE career competencies in every student employment job. And it's a relatively new innovation. Uh, but I think it's, it's worked very well. And, you know, students are, are more comfortable knowing that the skills that they're gaining are 100% identical, you know, not just by a conjured up opinion, but from good old fashioned data that employers are looking for. Uh, so they're just increasing their strength every step of the way. Um, as with any position, there's always some challenges. And so for someone who might be wanting to look into a career development type office, what are some things that you've had challenges with and how have you worked through those? Sure. Uh, one, uh, so within my office, there are three sub departments, uh, mainly. There's, uh, the internship, uh, there's student employment, and there's career programming. And career programming is my department. We have a small but mighty team, as we like to say. And one thing that we like to do, aside from working with students one on one, is integrate our career material uh, into various curricula and collaborate with faculty and also, um, staff and other departments, much like your own, which is incidentally how, how we came into contact mm-hmm. being on the social behavioral sciences residential college council, uh, to present workshops and have a presence at various, uh, programming events. And I am fortunate to have multiple liaisons, you know, so I am, in charge of touching base with the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences, the College of Arts and Letters, the Office of Indigenous Student Success, uh, the Center for International Education, and more. And I would say the challenge is purely, the, the great challenge is purely logistical. I mean, you can imagine uh, a multitude of schedules and some, some liaisons are uh, more incommunicado and others. So it, it's like with any endeavor, you're going to collaborate with more people than others. So, uh, I'd say the biggest challenge is having a presence in, in all capacities of, you know, the colleges and departments, which is something that we're continuing to work on. And I'm very confident, uh, that, that we'll have more involvement in, in the upcoming year. So we've already established some, a tentative workshop schedule with the Office of Indigenous Student Success for the, uh, 2019-2020 academic year, which we didn't do this past year. So I'm thoroughly excited about that. And, you know, if, if a collaboration opportunity doesn't happen after, you know, weeks, months, years, whatever, you know, it, it's important to not take it personally. Uh, just wait, wait for it to emerge, you know, never, never burn the bridge. So most of the challenges, uh, for me have been more logistical than personal. And that is the, preference. Yes, absolutely. Um, on the opposite side, there's also always a lot of benefits and things that you really enjoy. And so what comes to mind when you think about that in your work? The main benefit is that I get to interact in a face-to-face capacity uh, with students and help them. As I said, among Clifton strengths, uh, my top five, I'm a developer, you know, and, and a learner. So not only do I relish, you know, learning for the sake of learning myself, but whenever I can help someone achieve, what do they say? The aha moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) or to, you know, to introduce them to a new perspective that they didn't consider the before that will likely help them in the future. That's what I enjoy. You know, teaching is uh, something that I will forever want to pursue. And, you know, this is, is very similar to teaching instead of a whole classroom 
philosophy, which arguably presenting workshops is that, but just, just the one-on-one individual interaction is very meaningful. You know, when I, uh, interviewed for my position, as is customary, they'll let you have the opportunity to ask them questions at the end. (laughs) One of the questions that I asked, you know, is, could you please give me an estimate of the amount of time that I'll spend in my office at my desk versus getting to interact with others outside of the traditional office environment? So, you know, if I would have learned that I would have been at my desk on the computer for, you know, 75% of the time or more, I likely wouldn't have taken the job because that's inconsistent with, with what I find beneficial. So I think just helping students, it's always great when they, they return and proudly declare, I got the job. I got the internship. I'm very proud of this LinkedIn profile. My resume has never looked better. Uh, I feel more comfortable interviewing because I understand the behavioral psychology component. All of these things are great. Uh, We actually have a job bell in our office. So whenever uh, a student or an alum secures one, if they're here and think about it, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that very loud ringing. And it is very loud because it's quite literally maybe eight inches from my door. (laughs) But it's, 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 it's good. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, You kind of touched on this a little bit, but more on the campus partner side, what are ways that we can better partner and support the work that you specifically do, or at least within the programming aspect of career development? I think uh, awareness is key. Uh, You know, we actually, for one thing, in terms of physical space, we relocated uh, last summer. So we are now on the first floor of the University Union, which as you can imagine, is far more strategic than, you know, yeah. being sort of in a clandestine section of the <laughs> second floor that frankly, I didn't know exist when I was a graduate yep. student here. <laughs> um, so just having, having, you know, more, more of an exposed physical presence to, you know, the foot traffic, students, faculty, etc. And, you know, there is a faculty professional development, uh, department here on campus. So sort of getting, getting the buy-in from, you know, various stakeholders, you know, instructors, directors, or coordinators of different, all, all campus departments, whether it's like, you know, um, I don't know, the health and health promotions Mm -hmm. or, uh, center for international education or even student clubs, quite frankly, we don't just, you were not exclusive to full-time, staff, you know, I uh, had the president of the uh, NAU engineering club, an extremely intelligent and driven student. She approached me about presenting a workshop for them without any, to my knowledge, faculty involvement whatsoever, which by the way, taking initiative also within the top <laughs> 10 skills. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, anyone who, who wants to collaborate, we're more than willing uh, to do that. But again, just making our presence known is uh, a continual challenge, which I feel like we've taken steps in the right direction to address that. And, uh, you know, word of mouth is, is just as good as anything, you know, faculty members collaborated, for example, with the school of communication a lot. And when they mentioned to their colleagues and other departments, Oh yeah, you should, you know, we had a positive experience. The career development came and taught my class how to, you know, the, ins and outs of LinkedIn and how to professionally brand themselves online, then, you know, when they hear that, hopefully they're like, well, I could, you know, I would like them to come to a lecture and do the same thing. So 
and it's it's a resource that you know some people find out about it too late. Certainly, nothing existed at my university when I was an undergraduate like this. Uh, to this day, some universities still don't have uh, career development offices, yeah. and it's you know our services are free uh, to students and, and alumni for up to one year after they obtain their degree. So our challenge then uh, is making people namely students aware as early as possible, like from their first years, which is why we have an instrumental role in the orientations, which are, are happening right now. So uh, this is something that we'll be more adamant about tackling with the next academic year. And frankly, uh, we're looking, looking forward to it. I think that's something that even this year, this is my first year at NAU, but having a chance to see how much collaboration for me, I'm trying to think outside of, because our professor invited the Career Expo to come in and basically kind of present a workshop, that's the only time that I can really think of interacting with that office. And so even seeing it here in a variety of different capacities, I know we talked about our residential council and having a chance. I That, I think, was probably my favorite program the entire year for the listener, basically. Um, it was set up similar to the game of life where you were presented options, and the options were more based along how you decide to basically navigate your college career. And so it might say, do you decide to go talk to your professor or do you decide to do an email instead, or do you decide that you're not going to do it at all and spend time doing something else? And I think the cool part, which I really enjoyed, and we talk a lot about transferable skills. And I think oftentimes we get so caught up with, I have this major, this is the only way to succeed. But really all of those decisions, regardless of what you make are building skills along the way. And so I thought that was a really cool way of both incorporating practical and tangible things that students can relate to and also with the skill that that's specifically going to help them achieve in the future or not achieve but apply in the future as well i I really enjoyed that certainly yeah the game of life is also one of my favorite programs um not only the rationale that you just described but it's such an original idea you know for sure um i have kind of two more questions that Next one is kind of along the lines of working in career development or a career services type field um, for individuals that want to get into that position. What advice might you offer to them? The advice that I would offer is number one, while technical skills are invaluable, so are transferable skills. In fact, it's my own transferable skills that allowed me to transition from classic teaching to the student affairs milieu. Uh, because, you know, advising and being a program coordinator in career development, uh, the job description and a lot of the skills and qualifications, knowledges, abilities, they are almost identical to those that you gain from teaching. So being aware of how to market yourself. And, um, if you are, uh, wanting to, uh, think about going in. This is kind of meta, honestly, Tommy, because <laughs> this is sort of like a career exploration or, uh, appointment. You know, there, number one, uh, find someone like myself who works in a career development capacity and conduct an informational interview. Uh, get to know the ins and outs of our jobs, much like you're asking me right now. I sort of equate this as an informational interview. You can, uh, use LinkedIn for networking purposes and to see what career development opportunities exist. And if you are looking for a specific university, go directly to the HR website. If you're looking to work in a region, you know, um, see what institutions and colleges are there and see what opportunities are at hand. 
And when it comes to the, I guess, aspect of actually applying and submitting your application, like any job, pay critical attention to the job description itself and target accordingly. I like to view a job description as a cheat sheet, right? Because not only does it tell you the qualifications they want you to possess, but it always has a section that says like primary responsibilities include or primary tasks include. And then, you know, quite literally it lists what you're going to be doing. Uh, so if, you know, you read the job description and you see the word coordinate a lot, coordinate with departments to put on programs, coordinate with, uh, colleagues to host workshops or participate and create, you know, something like that. If any of the tasks that you've done in your previous experiences can be summarized by coordinating, make sure to emphasize that. If, you know, we use a certain kind of software program and you have experience with said software program, make it explicitly known. Targeting is the name of the game for, for any position because, you know, you could be honestly the most qualified individual to serve in that role. But if you can't indicate that early on in your resume and cover letter, then sadly, you're not going to get the opportunity to prove yourself in the interview. And it's understandable. You know, many people, they get really excited about applying for a new job and just sort of throw the job. Oh yeah, this is good. And then it's gone. And then they dive right into the cover letter. Uh, And that enthusiasm is uh, essential You know, you certainly want to convey that to the interview, but in order to get to the interview, you have to pay careful attention to the job description. Again, the other thing is regardless, do not feel, do not feel that you're limited because you chose one major. I, you know, part of my job is, is being a myth buster, dispelling (laughs) myths. And you can probably, you know, what, one of the biggest concerns, and this goes into, you know, causing mental health issues and stress among students is, am I studying the right thing? I have one chance to choose the right major and I better not mess up. Or I'm going to have to go back and take more classes and I'm not going to graduate at a time, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, a lot of positions, when you look at the job description, uh, granted, you know, there are exceptions such as being, you know, a physician or a nurse or a mechanical sure. engineer, but, and you can, you can, you can corroborate here, uh, you know, it says minimum qualifications, you know, bachelor's degree in W, X, Y, and or Z, and or any combination or equivalence yep. of experience, or master's degree plus one year, blah, blah, blah. So that language, although sort of verbose, is your, it's giving you leeway to make a case for yourself based on your experience and skills. Uh, so by that logic, if you know that you're going to have far more opportunities than you think about with, with any major, then what does that imply? That means you should choose what you want to do based on your skills, interests, and values. Because, you know, our, our office philosophy goes into positive psychology. And if you determine what you're good at and what you enjoy and you pursue that, then you're going to have a more fulfilling experience. It sounds like common sense, but not everybody seems to realize that. So if you're interested in career development, uh, find some professionals in the field like myself, visit our websites, check out our resources, our materials, what, what our philosophies are, what we're telling our students and alumni and, uh, you know, things like the National Association of Colleges and Employers, you know, NACE, I think it's a dot, a dot org. Uh, that would be a good starting point as well. Awesome. And then kind of the final question is, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about that work 
you do or anything with students, staff, and faculty for your office? Simply that we, and I could speak for my, my entire staff, we enjoy all of it or, or we would not be doing it. We are really, I think, invested in our students. When we work with, you know, those who come in in one-on-one or workshops, for me, it's not transactional. You know, if I spend an hour going over your resume and cover letter with you, or if I spend an hour uh, talking about job search strategies and how to explore opportunities, it's not like when you leave the office, whoosh, I'm not invested in, in your case anymore. That's simply not true. Um, I'm, we're, we're all rooting for our NAU lumberjacks. We want them to experience success, whether that's, you know, obtaining a tangible position or gaining the confidence that they need and the understanding that's necessary to properly go into the 21st century workforce. Every time I meet with a student, I encourage them to come back with a follow-up appointment if they want to reassess their situation or touch base or to come back and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I want to know what happens. It would be really awesome if you, if you achieved your goal. Come back and let me know. So, um, I guess that's the main thing. We're, we're very sincere. You know, whenever we work with, with students and alumni, it's not that our concern is within the four uh, walls. Well, actually, it's a complicated architectural design. So more than four <laughs> walls, but you get, you get my drift. Uh, so we, we legitimately care, uh, about our students and want them to succeed. You know, our mission statement is to empower students and alumni to competently navigate, um, you know, the career field in an evolving and global world. And we take that to heart and we mean it. Um, hopefully for the listener, you got to not only learn a lot about career development, but I think more specifically, a lot of the ways that you can take a lot of the information that Andrew said and either apply it to your own um, career path or pursuits that you have, but also just being able to share that information with other individuals. I think kind of going back to the awareness piece again, that's a really important part is that sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so having a chance to share that is a really important tool and powerful as well. Um, for our last segment, we end the show the same week that we do every week, which is rough translation. And sometimes it's a chance to describe a song accurately, or it might be described sarcastically. But it's a goal <laughs> to also help the listener expand their own genre while we also do the same. And so for me, um, the song that comes to mind is, the song is called Water Me by Lizzo. And the reason why I've been feeling it this week is it's rained a lot. And so I thought that was applicable. I was like, ah, there's a correlation <laughs> totally. here. Uh, but I also recently bought a Nintendo Switch and I've been playing Just Dance on it a lot. And I think it is my favorite Just Dance song on there so far. It's very upbeat and lively. And I think it's been a nice way to shift from some of the dreariness that occurs with the weather and having a chance to just feel more energized and excited. So that's why I chose it. But any song that comes to mind for you? I guess uh, I was asked this in a different capacity. Uh, one cool song that I re-encountered, you know, I'm old school. Uh, I still have an iPod Nano uh, that nice. I got for Christmas in 2008. And I realized that some of the viewers may have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Those young, some of the younger Gen Z whippersnappers. Uh, but uh, on Shuffle, I revisited a song by Broken Bells, which was a collaboration between James Mercer of the Shins 
and DJ Danger Mouse. And the song was called October. Uh, and one of the, uh, lyrics, uh, was something along the lines of, there is no shortcut to a dream. It's blood and sweat and life is what you manage in between. Something along those lines. So I thought that was a, a, a just a cool lyric. It's not saying that you should give up by any means, but it's not sugarcoating it either. You know, in between where you are and what you want to do, you have to work hard. And I think that's always a necessary uh, message because, yes, listeners, a strong work ethic, yet again, is among the top 10 transferable skills by National Association of Colleges <laughs> and Employers. Awesome. So, um, well, thank you again. If you have thoughts about the podcast this week for our listeners, we'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions in our comments section. Shout out to Housing and Residence Life at Northern Arizona University and helping this podcast continue to succeed. Uh, special shout out to Andrea as well. Thank you for, again to our listeners. Tune in next time. And as always, make good choices. Make good choices. Go Lumberjacks. <laughs> You've just, you've just opened a whole new mental <laughs> rabbit hole, my friend. 